But there is one more ingredient to this battle, our secret ingredient, the theme on which our chefs will offer their succulent variations. Today's secret ingredient is... Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm New York correspondent Robert Smith, and I am moderating today's podcast, not just because I am an internationally known expert on credit default swaps, (laughs) although I am. I mean, I really am. But I'm hosting today because I am impartial. I cannot be bought, swayed, influenced, manipulated, pushed or prodded in any way, which is essential, because today marks the return of the Planet Money Iron Reporter competition. Previously on Iron Reporter, we sent the Planet Money team to the fancy food show here in Manhattan. They had an hour to do a pithy and insightful story on expensive snacks and economics. The results, as you may remember, were inconclusive. The judges chose David Kestenbaum's story as the best, but voters on the website, mostly Adam Davidson's relatives and extended family, (laughs) voted for Adam's piece. And then I just got to tell you, here in the halls of NPR New York... We pretty much thought that Hannah Jaffe Walt's piece was the best. Wait, that was not inconclusive. I won. (laughs) So today, we're going to have to settle this by a rematch. Ladies and gentlemen, the reporters are here. Hannah, Adam, and Alex Bloomberg, pinch reporting for David Kestenbaum. Go Kestenbaum. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here is the challenge. We sent these three reporters to a different kind of trade show, right up the street at the New York Hilton. And it's a show about malls. Explain this, Mr. Davidson. It was the annual convention of the International Council of Shopping Centers. This is a dream assignment. It's a dream assignment (laughs) for any reporter. It is four stories of the massive Hilton Hotel, a few blocks north of here at 56th Street, filled with booths and presentations about shopping malls. There's mall developers, mall retailers, mall restaurants. Everything you can imagine about the business of malls. If this were not hard enough, we've added a twist. Not only do they just have an hour to gather all their tape, but they also have to include a piece of tape from a non-romance language. Ooh. And if that weren't hard enough, we've also brought in tough critics, the toughest critics we could possibly find to judge this competition. In the first judgmental chair, our own Simon Cowell. All things considered, executive producer... Christopher Turpin. Delighted to be here. And you are actually offering the prize in this competition, aren't you? Yes, the prize for this is you get to be on All Things Considered. Now, (laughs) most award shows, most competition shows only have one Brit as a judge. That's why we're going to double this up. Chair number two, another accented luminary of public radio. Cue the theme. That discord jazz can only mean one thing. Katya Rogers, executive producer of On the Media. Oh, I almost forgot one last vitally important piece of information about the Iron Reporter competition, and that is that you, the listener, will choose the real winner. So listen to the stories coming up, listen to the judges as a guide, or you can ignore it completely, just like a real reporter would, and then you should go to npr.org slash money to vote for the winner, the greatest economic reporter of all time, the Iron Reporter. All right. So you know the stakes now. The stakes are high. Let's do it. The Mall Trade Show. Here's Adam Davidson. 
The overall impression of the shopping mall convention in Midtown Manhattan is really clear and, frankly, not very surprising. People in the shopping mall business see you and me as little units of consumption to be counted, manipulated, tweaked by the latest advances in technology. The reason everyone's here is to do one thing, to maximize revenue per square inch of mall. There are all these displays for mall developers, mall retailers, mall restaurants, software providers selling the latest tools to figure out how exactly to get the most possible money out of the pockets of the people walking through the mall. Then I turn a corner and suddenly I'm talking to Paul Fetcher. We got sidetracked after World War II when we started going out to Long Island, plowing down the potato fields and popping up modular housing. We lost it there. Then we had to go all of a sudden in the 50s and 60s to the enclosed regional mall, which became the most exciting environment. Paul's buddy, John Sacon, jumps in. We build office parks. We have parking. There's no walking around an office park. You get in your car, you go someplace. Our urban centers have taken away from what is necessary to make them vibrant. So who are these two anti-mall radicals standing in the middle of the shopping mall convention? They're not plants from City College, I swear. They're advocates of what they call lifestyle malls. Open air, strollable, centers of community. It reminds me of this class I took about ancient Greece and Rome, where the marketplace at the center of a city was more than just a place to buy stuff. It was a true gathering place where you'd hear lively debates about the duties of citizens or the nature of man or of war or whatever. You know, you'd see a play by Aeschylus, and Aeschylus would be there, and then you'd go watch Socrates give some speech that would piss everyone off. The new movement in the United States to go to a lifestyle village, which is a destination, because there they can commune with their neighbors, something that we've gotten away from. I believe the Greek word is an agora. Exactly. Exactly. There's nothing new that we're doing that the Romans didn't do 2,000 years ago. In the Agora. In the Agora. Agora. Now, before I get all excited about these malls representing the rebirth of Athenian democracy, it's worth pointing out exactly what Paul and John have in mind. John Sacon is developing what he calls a lifestyle village in Glastonbury, Connecticut. And when he shows me the plans, it seems more like a high-end strip mall with a walking path than an ancient city. Center. That's, in fact, why he's talking to Paul Fetcher. Paul Fetcher runs Great American Brokerage. He's an expert in figuring out which restaurants would do best in different kinds of malls. Now, Paul, on a, on a center like this, would you say I would need two white napkin, two... I would say one, one white tablecloth. I need more than one lunch operation. Okay. One may be full service, may, one may be fast casual, a fast casual like a Panera bread. Oh, man, <laughs> these guys go on and on about dining concepts. Nothing's a restaurant, everything's a dining concept. They talk about which dining concept would attract the right kind of people who will spend a lot of money in the right retail concept. In other words, they don't give a darn about Aeschylus and Socrates. They just want to make some money. Agoras did not have broker consultants. They did not have square foot. We don't know that. (laughs) I think actually they may have. Actually, actually, I do have specific knowledge on that. If I, go across, if I go to Rome and I go across the street from Circus... Turns Maximus, out Paul has done his research. He visited the ruins of an ancient three-story mall in Rome. He says that back then, the mall managers did indeed, just like now, study how much each shop made. 
They'd move the best sellers down to ground level, and that's exactly what a modern mall developer does, to get more revenue per square foot. So while we think we're clever with percentage sales, that too goes back 3,000 years. I can't decide if it's depressing or actually kind of wonderful to realize that our ancient ancestors were so much like us. Sure, some debated democracy and some even gave their lives for their ideals, but a lot of others, just like us, focused on making a buck, or in their case, making a drachma. Adam Davidson, NPR News. Bravo, bravo, Mr. Davidson, known agoraphobe, Adam (laughs) Davidson. Thank you. I built the entire story around a non-romance language word. Classical structure ripped straight from Aeschylus. Bravo. Let's see what the judges thought. Christopher Turpin, executive producer of All Things Considered, what'd you think? Well, it pains me to say this because Adam's head is pretty big to start off with. But for an hour's work, I thought that was pretty good. That was pretty funny. Great description at the top. Um, I like the use of the non-romance word. Uh, I'm not sure I necessarily entirely buy the Eureka shopping moment concept at the heart of it. But um, uh, but it was sort of made me think. It was interesting. Uh, Adam tells a pretty good, uh, pretty good yarn. I'd have to say that uh, that's definitely a sort of eight out of ten. Catcher Rogers, senior producer of On the Media, what do you think? Um, I would say, you know, I like the story. I love the script. I loved, I loved Adam's uh, writing, but really, it was two voices and ambience. I don't know if it's uh, does that count as a piece. He clearly didn't get winded moving through this thing. What did you do? You stopped, you found... What did you do with your other 40 minutes? I will say, say it was 40 minutes of interviewing really, really boring people and feeling increasingly desperate. And then I ran into these two guys and was like, okay, this will work. No, look, I'm not saying I didn't like it. I liked it. I enjoyed every minute. But... uh, Yeah, and I also say that... I'm waiting for the next two contestants. Yeah, I agree. Can I hold my mark till the end? Yes, yes, right? yes. You don't have to actually. Uh, yeah, give I want to. I want to compare and contrast. All right. Oh, yeah. there is a nervous look on Adam Davidson's <laughs> face. He knows that if the competition were just end right now, he might win. <laughs> and, yet, and yet, that's not the way it works. All right. Let's give him a break. You made the best of what you had. Yes. Let's give him a break while we listen to what Hannah Joffe Walt has brought back from the Mall Show. Take it away. Jeff Vecchio has a recurring dream. In the dream, a woman gets into her car, kids in the back, drives four or five miles to a suburban strip mall to get some dinner at the Red Robin. Or sometimes it's a subway. And while she's there, she picks up some shampoo at the pharmacy next door, wine at the liquor store, maybe gets her nails done. That's it. That's the whole dream. Now, Jeff has this dream because in waking life, he owns that strip mall, all 75,000 square feet of it. He's a developer, Coolidge Properties outside Boston. His only problem is the real strip mall doesn't have a Red Robin or a Subway. And it doesn't have enough moms showing up either. Right. I mean, we have kind of the bread and butter type of stores, you know, where to buy your groceries, where to get your prescriptions, where to bring your dry cleaning. But we need something that's going to push us over the top that makes us more of a destination. Something like Red Robin or Subway. National brands get people to the parking lot. 
where they then stop by Jeff's other local businesses, which keeps the local businesses alive and paying rent checks, something that unfortunately has not been too dependable lately. We're, we're not a big pension company, not a huge developer. Can I say it sort of seems like there's like the cool kids and the cool kids are the Subways and the Red Robins and the big names. And then you are like trying to be in that. We league. want to be a center that has the cool kids. We don't want to be a center that has, you know, the delinquents or, or whatnot. So, clipboard in hand, dream in his heart, Jeff wanders the halls of the shopping center's conference. Red Robin and Subway are both listed in his program. Uh, my name's Jeff he stops by 7-Eleven. They aren't interested. Dunkin' Donuts, ditto. Burger King, Chipotle, no, no. And then Jeff comes face-to-face with Steve Canada, a large man in a Red Robin polo right in front of the bright yellow Red Robin booth. And it happens really quickly. Jeff gives the pitch. Steve shakes his head. It's not large enough for what we do. The site itself's not big enough. And that's it. Mr. Red Robin walks away, right up to some other guy, and offers him a plate of cookies. Jeff tells me that that other guy is a big-time developer, that his mall already has a Best Buy. Red Robin is also trying to land the cool kid. Being neighbors with Best Buy is Red Robin's Red Robin. We all know how shopping for a plasma TV gives you the Burger Jones. The technical term for the cool kid, by the way, is an anchor store. There's tons of research about how the quality of your anchor store determines the volume of traffic to nearby retail. So, rejected by one of Jeff's two anchor stores, he has to move on. We pass one guy who's pitching an extreme mall in India. Basically, it's a mall where you can surf and rock climb in the middle of the mall. How's that for a cool kid? And then we turn a corner, and there she is. My name is Joanne Leandino. I'm standing in front of our subway booth, and we're here uh, trying to make some deals. Having thought about this moment many times before, Jeff gets right to it. Sure. Yeah, we have a couple properties we're working on. Uh, one of them is an existing shopping center, and Subway would fit in well now. You're going to be subdividing that out? Yes. Okay. Joanne is smiling, but it turns out Joanne is happy, giddy, actually, because of another deal. We are, uh, Subway's going to be in the new Freedom Tower crane, and that's one of uh, the... In the crane? In the crane, yeah. The crane that's building the Freedom Tower, there's actually going to be a little sandwich store uh, on the crane. So apparently you can stick a shipping container on a crane and put lunch inside in a bathroom. That way you spare workers the hassle of going down to the street. Joanne, like everyone else here, is thinking about how to drive traffic to her stores. But unlike Jeff and Red Robin, she's not concerned with one particular store. She has tens of thousands of subways and strip malls like Jeff's. She wants to get people to all of them. Having her brand associated with an unassailable symbol of American perseverance pretty good. The Freedom Tower is the ultimate cool kid. And guess who made the sale? It was, a, it was my son. I wish my son was here. My son and our staff. Yes. Mazel tov. Yes, thank you. Jeff wanted Red Robin. Red Robin wanted Best Buy. Jeff wanted Subway. Subway wanted America. Or at least the as-yet-incomplete steel and glass structure representing said immortal abstract entity. Some people get to go home from this conference happy. Jeff says the highlight of his day was the boxed lunch. Hannah Jaffe-Walt, NPR News. Mazel tov, <laughs> Wow, you pulled that at the last minute. I was getting nervous. I was actually just like, she's not going to get I it was in. too. But, uh, but we had this story of the strip mall geek looking for the cool kids. It was a journey story, a lot of action. Great story. Let's see what the judges thought. Let's start with Katya Rogers this time. I love that story. 
I was totally invested in Jeff and his little sad life and his, you know, failures. And um, I felt like I was being led around and I really felt the kind of the atmosphere of the place and the, the tension and, you know, what was riding on it. There were stakes in that piece and I felt them. And, um, yeah, I love the muzzle tough. Misreserved Re- mis- judgment till the end. All of a sudden when she finds a piece she likes, we'll just gush, huh? I know. Sorry, Adam. Oh, man. <laughs> she had one guy, really. ATC yeah. executive producer Christopher Turpin, what do you think? You want this on your show? I'd echo some of what Katya said there. I, I thought the piece moved literally and figuratively. I thought there was tension there and a nice little narrative narrative arc. Uh, I love the idea of Red Robin as the cool kid on the uh, block. Um, I got a bit lost in the second part of the piece where we get on to the freedom, uh, freedom whatever it was. Um, and I thought the uh, use of Masotov as a non-romance word was a bit inorganic. OK, it was on tape, but it, uh, <laughs> it wasn't as well integrated into the piece. I think as, if your uh, name is Hannah, you can say it. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I guess you in can. Not that's, inorganic. That's, that's <laughs> organic. true, but uh, that was a little bit of a cheat. But uh, all in all, I thought it was an excellent piece. I guess I'll reserve my grades as well to the end, but uh, I thought this was a very ATC-worthy story. All right, well, batting cleanup. Oh, you, you look so, so nervous. nervous. You, you look like you're actually a little bit physically ill. I am. I, I, I had no idea I was going to be so nervous about this whole thing. I mean, yeah. I am. All right. Well, this one's going to be a little longer. Clocking in at, you said, six minutes? Yes. Six minutes of quality reporting done in one hour by Alex Bloomberg. Let's do it. It's not hard to find evidence that the economy is an issue at this conference. In fact, you can tell before you even get inside the conference itself. Here, at the bar in the lobby of the Hilton, outside of where the booths are all set up. Here in the bar, attendees huddle in groups, drinks in hand, convention badges dangling from suit lapels. Well, from some suit lapels. Just not the lapels of a guy named Keith Mecca. In the down economy, I didn't feel like paying the entrance fee, so I came up here as like a, like a lone wolf, and I just conducted myself out of this in the Starbucks. So you never went upstairs? You've just been here the no, entire time? No, I made it to Starbucks in here. It's a bad economy. They should charge less. I would have paid them maybe 200 but not 5 Mecca explains how it works here. All the people clustered around us, they fall into one of three categories. Owners, tenants, or brokers. The owners, they own the malls and shopping centers. Tenants, they occupy them. They range from big names like JCPenney or Best Buy to small gift shops or food stands. And the brokers, they bring the owners and tenants together. And I talked to another broker, a woman named Mary Mowbray, and she said this event can be a launching pad for tenants. For example, one of her clients, a restaurant chain named Five Guys Burgers, which is trying to expand into the Canadian market. They're a company that's gone from about, you know, I think it was eight locations in 2004 to over 500 by the end of this year. So they have a lot to offer, but they need to make sure landlords understand that. So they're on a real mission to be be, um, recognized. It turns out when it comes to getting recognized... Five guys, they might be the best in the business. Where'd you get that burger? Five guys brought it. Five guys brought it? Yeah. We're on a different level of the trade show now, on Concourse E, in front of the booth of a Canadian real estate developer who is munching on a special delivery from Five Guys Burgers. The guy who brought him the burger is the owner of Five Guys. We'll get to his name in a minute. This is not the first delivery he's made today. Three different companies. I've... I've entertained with hamburgers today because they've never had them. And the greatest thing, and you missed it, is to watch them take their first bite. You miss the eyes. You miss them go, wow, that's the bomb. That's what I want. That's a hamburger. 
The hamburgers are just one part of his multi-pronged campaign for recognition. There's also a clothing component. He's wearing a Christmas red mohair sports jacket, red suspenders, and a bright red tie. And then there's the name. When he hands you his business card, it's like if Prince or Madonna or Sting were to hand you their business cards, there's just one name on it. And that name is McGuire. Like any good salesman, McGuire knows the value of maintaining a certain mystique. Everybody gets a moniker as they go up in life, and mine just happened to be McGuire. Uh-huh. And what's it short for? McGuire. <laughs> I just want to know what the original name was. McGuire. My wife calls me McGuire. You didn't. You had no other. Your, your your old name is forgotten, never to be recovered. Uh, you can walk up and down this thing and ask anybody who the guy in the red jacket is, or do you know anybody with one name? And I guarantee you, it'll be me. This is true, by the way. When fate hands you a red-jacketed, one-named burger salesman in the middle of a reporting competition, you follow him around. And wherever we went, people would just shout out. See? What's my name? At one point, as we swept through one of the convention halls, I heard a man mutter to his friend, Hey, look, it's the Five Guys guy. I stopped to chat with him. His name is Andrew Oberman, and he's a broker. What do you know about that guy? Is that, is that um, McGuire? Is that his yeah. name? That's all I know. His first, his first and last name is McGuire. That's how do you know, know him? <laughs> is he just like, just from everybody knows him here? Is that how it, I've known from past, from past real estate conferences. He's always here? Yeah, he's a character. Yeah. <laughs> Has he ever tried to approach you about anything? About, like, no, 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 no. They, no, they, yeah. they, everybody tries to approach him. He's a tenant. So everybody's, so. Try, everybody's recruiting him, basically. Uh, yeah, in, the, in these times, for sure. And this might be the greatest secret for McGuire's popularity around here. It is not a great time to be a mall owner right now. We're coming off one of the biggest binges in commercial real estate development our nation has ever known. Mall vacancy rates are at all-time highs, and every month this past year, new names have been added to the pantheon of failed retailers. Circuit City, Filene's Basement, Old Country Buffet. So a guy like McGuire, with a business that's expanding, for God's sake, he's a pretty rare commodity in this place. And when you throw in his flair for drama, he's hard to resist. I talked to Tony Grossi, the chief operating officer of Maserich Properties, a large retail property owner. We stood in a conference room where small groups of Maserich employees gathered around tables with brokers and tenants, blueprints laid out in front of them, hammering out deals. Rents, locations, lease details. It was an intense scene, and it was into this scene that several hours earlier, McGuire had burst, like a genie from a bottle, sacks of burgers in each hand. Grossi was there. Well, this this fellow with the red jacket, who I don't know, came in here bursting and yelling that burgers in the house. <laughs> and Five Guy McGuire, that's his name. You know, in terms of like the economics of this whole thing, does something like this is it actually going to make a difference? In, in it? I think so. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty much a splash when you come in here with a bag full of burgers that everybody loves. But will that actually make a difference? When, like, I see blueprints out. I see like people like you know hunched yeah, over. No, there was. If you look, look carefully, there's probably some blueprints with oil on them, and <laughs> you know, like a they use them as napkins. And almost as if on cue, Greg Cochran, a Maserich VP, walks in, spots McGuire, and shouts out some news. Hey, we just made a Five Guys deal at Scottsdale Fashion Square in Phoenix. With that, Cochran and McGuire do a little high five. One more deal done, one more burger joint in McGuire's ever-expanding Five Guys empire. And one small reason the mall owners in this conference room can breathe a little easier at night. Alex Bloomberg, now that's the bomb. <laughs> that's a hamburger story. Wow. Uh, how, how long into this competition before you met McGuire? I was going to say Mr. McGuire, but <laughs> no, I guess the Mr. Superfluous. Yes. Uh, half an hour. 
So this was a half an hour with McGuire? Yes. He's good tape. He moves fast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Let's go to Christopher Turpin. What do you think? Uh, I thought this was also a pretty good story. Um, but, and uh, a couple of buts here, mm-hmm. uh, I felt this was little, a little bit like a Five Guys burger. The burger was better than the bread that surrounded it, oh. both top and bottom. Maguire was a great character, and I wanted to hear more of him than you gave me. I heard a lot of Alex. I didn't hear as much of Maguire and mm. this character. I could have done with the story told more through his voice and less through uh, Alex's voice. Uh, but it certainly found an amazing character, and Five Guys is a really interesting chain. It's a really interesting story that certainly uh, I would love to know more uh, more about and I think there was some again great description and sense of place in the story Katja did you like the burger love the burger um, I love how Alex is I can hear that former teacher I love how it's done <laughs> this is how it works <laughs> I love that it always gets me and then I, I feel like I can follow it and know what's going on and, um, and at one point I was thinking maybe this is a little thin I don't know where it's going mm-hmm. and then I realized that you got me hooked into the guy and he points to a much bigger story and that's just how that's how it works, and it, and it was great, and and you know I learned something again. Um, it was very this American lifey. I did. I wanted to go to his house and meet his wife. And, you know, so hang you out just wanted him. you wanted more like of an him hour. as well. I mean, yeah. Uh, and of course, the This American yeah. Life twist, where it turns out he's a vegetarian. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! Yeah. Surprise! Um, and I and I should say probably. Uh, Christopher, you reserve the right to uh, trim or perhaps edit these a little bit. Is that right? Whatever gets on the air, uh, yeah, I assume they'll all go through a, a good, good, a good edit from uh, a good editor. Um, but actually, I thought they were all amazingly good for pieces that ha- really hadn't had an edit. I, I think you all did a terrific job with this. Wonderful. Well, which I hate to say because I really wanted to be Simon Cowell. I, know, you're to be Simon Cowell. I really wanted to say things like, if "This is a total dog's breakfast," or uh, you know, "That's uh, what a load of codswallop." Uh, um, I really, really, really wanted an opportunity to let my inner Simon. And cow loose, but um, unfortunately, uh, you're actually far too good at this for that. All right, well, let's do this since we're all in separate places. We're just going to have to, we, there's no secret tally here. You're just going to have to mm. say it on the air. So, you want to begin, Katya? What do you think? What's your gut say? My gut say, Hannah. Yes! Oh, man. And was there anything that really that was, set you up? To over me, the edge? okay, as, a, as a, someone who edits pieces, to me, that was the most polished, sort of beginning, middle, end, great voices. Stakes, um, narrative. It's done. Boom. It's in. It's on the Katya, show. I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> She's really gloating. It sounds like crying, but that is a gloating smile. Well, yeah. Christopher Turpin, what do you think? I would say it was, I'll stick with the eight for Mr. Davidson. Uh, I, again, I liked it. I, I agree it was a little, bit, uh, a little bit thin. It was a little bit full of uh, too much surface and perhaps not enough substance. Uh, Alex's piece, as I said, I thought was a little bit, a uh, little bit long, if anything, and could have started much quicker. And I'd give that a seven, which means that the winner for me was definitely Hannah. I thought that was the most complete piece wow. out of the, out of the three. I thought it had real arc, real structure. It had a good sense of having been self-edited. Um, it really mm-hmm. flowed, and I'd feel pretty confident or comfortable rather putting that on air. Uh, pretty much unchanged, other than the very back end, which I thought got a little bit confusing and could do with a little, a little tweak. All the America but, stuff. All the America stuff. <laughs> I got lost in the America stuff, but then I always get lost in the America stuff. It's part of being British. But I, I thought it was, uh, a, was a really good story. Well, that's the point of view of the judges, people who do this professionally, but you shouldn't let that influence you in any way because we're going to throw this open to the listeners of Planet Money. Come on, Mom. 
All you need to do, <laughs> mom and her entire extended family, all you have to do is go to the website, npr.org slash money. One vote. Who shall it be? Hannah Jaffe Waltz, Hunt for the Cool Kids. Should it be Adam Davidson with the anti-mall radicals and the Agora? Or should it be Alex with the Five Guys Bomb Burger? <laughs> it's up to you. You will determine who goes on All Things Considered. So remember, you're going to have to hear this story again. So keep that in mind. I want to thank our judges, Katya Rogers, senior producer of On the Media and executive producer of All Things Considered, Christopher Turpin. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks very much for having us. And thanks to our gladiators here. Remember, the vote is up to you. NPR.org slash money. Your love gives me such a thrill. But your love won't pay my bills. I want money.